Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. Today, we're talking about the albums that got us here. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, let's talk about the albums that got us here, the ones that changed our life. Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Tonight is a very special episode. It's our 50th, uh, which is hard to believe. We started this in uh, December of 2016, and uh, here we are in uh, July of 2017, and we're already at number 50. So uh, congratulations, guys. Exciting stuff. Yeah, congratulations to you, too. And um, I just wanted to sort of reflect back on, on how we got started here. Um, uh, not not quite the uh, the the you know whole backstory of of uh, starting in 1968 with my birth, but um, <laughs> you know the way this sort of came together, and and I actually toss it. To, I'd like to toss it to Christian because I'd like to, you know, uh, you were the you were the latecomer to this uh, trio, and and um, you know it all began back in uh, I believe 2006 when you joined us for um, Pitchfork my, Festival in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, that's right. Um, that was uh, the first time I met Jeremy, and actually, uh, it was a lot of firsts. I think it was the first first Pitchfork Festival for sure. First time I met Jeremy. Um, I think one of the first times we'd actually hung out without a without parental supervision from our dad. Um, so, uh, and it was pretty much all downhill from there. Um, you know, I'd obviously uh, developed a, a like you know a taste in music with your help, and sort of on my own for for a few years before that. But really, it wasn't until um, it wasn't until I was sort of a junior. Uh, senior in high school, I guess that that we all sort of connected, and that really kicked off this. You know, got got the ball rolling, I guess, on this um, this conversation that we've been having for years since, and um, and that we've actually you know translated into this podcast. Um, so you know, what, Jeremy, you were the one who got the tickets to that. It was, uh, but I mean, my my first memories of that were, um, I think the the Friday night we saw Sonic Youth do all of Daydream Nation at one of those. Um, uh, what were they called? All Tomorrow's Parties was the was the promotional outfit, the yeah. sponsors. Yeah. yeah, and then you know some of the highlights from that festival, which was awesome, was like seeing Girl Talk in the DJ tent. Um, for me, it was still like one of the most fun parties. You know, I think that was um, uh, a fun party for all of us. That was a that was a surprise. It was Girl Talk build in basically an alley that was way too small to fit the amount of people that were dancing. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, there were people pinned up against the chain link fence, and it was pretty, pretty crazy. But it was people getting naked. It was one of those classic. Uh, it was one of those classic things, though, where like a DJ tent takes over a festival for a minute. Where you know it starts out that there's a little bit of buzz around this guy, but a lot of people still hadn't heard him at that point. Um, you know, this is pre Night Ripper, and um, and uh, but you know there was sort of some favorable, uh, some favorable buzz on the blogosphere, I guess. Um, and uh, and then you know by sort of his set opens and you can start to see more and more people trickling in and trying to figure out what the commotion is. <laughs> then by the end, literally people are wedged up against the walls, um, you know, just in some massive sort of like like blobish thing of human movement and, yeah. and heat. Well, it's funny. I think that was the exa- that was the same year. I mean, rolling it back, this is now you know eleven years ago. Um, I had done a. Uh, uh, piece for uh, I think Boston Magazine on podcasts, and I really didn't know what a podcast was when I decided to pitch this idea. I just ha- had a friend that had one um, who was happy to be. It's uh, Jay Sweet, who uh, is now the the producer of the Newport Folk Fest, and a much um, more civilized so pinned- affair than the Girl Talk Tent, by the way. <laughs> the Girl Talk Tent, yeah. So I just pinned him down, and I was like, well, I, I pitched this story to, to Boston Magazine. Would you mind being featured in it? And um, so I wrote this story and never really thought about podcasting again, you know, that much until, um, you know, our conversation sort of built to the point where I kind of felt like we should take it public. It, you know, it's a, this has been a uh, an ongoing text chain conversation, you know, certainly for all three of us. Um, well, which I, you know, actually, I'll back it up and take it to the family dynamics, which is that, 
Christian and Jeremy are both my half-brothers, and they are not related to one another. And uh, so Jeremy is, is my mother and stepfather's son, and Christian is my father and, and his uh, uh, wife's son. And so it's a, kind of a minor miracle that we actually know each other, much less hang out, talk, and uh, <laughs> Do a are podcast. friends. I've done so, 50 you know, podcasts together. Yeah, and I, you know, to me, this is a, this is a really you know sort of heartwarming story. But um, you know, this is uh, the, the, that's the family dynamics behind this, and, and basically, it's the uh, you know, it's it, it's us bringing to life this conversation we've been having over the past eleven years since we all. Well, first one thing met. to add before we kind of jump into tonight's uh, segments, you know, just jump back to two thousand six when I first met Christian. I think I've said this on previous pods, but I think one of the, the unique things about that. Um, sort of ch- chance meeting and, and sort of uh, connection through music. Uh, obviously, Wyndham and I had had it going, and, and you, Wyndham, bridged it to Christian, and then Christian and I sort of got to know each other that weekend and, and continued sort of the conversation via text. But was that I, I vi- you know, aside from Girl Talk, who we all wanted to see, I do remember having just a completely different agenda that weekend than Christian, and it was really cool to kind of learn about some bands. He had just come back, or, or maybe you were still in school in London, Christian, I can't remember, but... Um, you know, we were obviously back in the States and, uh, you know, turning me on and I think Wynn to some degree on to some new new bands. And we were kind of there to see the band, the bands that we wanted to see that might have been a little tired you at that time. And I think that's also where this, you know, kind of thing is spurred from. You know, we, we all have had like a curiosity. We obviously have a, a, a similar base in the music we love, but I think we all have a, a curiosity and, and enjoy being turned on. And, and for Wyndham... You know, and I will say for myself now, not losing touch with what we love, you know, which is finding new music. And I will admit to a bit of a skepticism, you know, Christian showed up, I think he was 17 at the time, and, and was saying, oh, you've got to check out this band and this band, suck. and I was like, yeah, I don't know them, I know. No, but I, or I, I didn't, hadn't heard of some of them, like CSS, I remember, and some of the ones that he had sort of keyed in on, and, um, you know... Um, my bad. It's uh, it's been a very you know didn't take long for me to to uh, change my tune as far as uh, listening to him as far as far as what's good, what's new, and and uh, what's up and coming. So it's been a it's been an evolutionary process, but it's been a really fun evolutionary process. Absolutely. So should we guys uh, should we take a little break and then come back and we will um, kick it off with uh, I guess the album that changed Jeremy's life. Sounds good. Absolutely. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, happy 50th episode to Jeremy and Christian. I'm Wyndham, and today we are talking about the albums that changed our lives, the one that, you know, the one that we identify that really got us in to music. Um, and uh, so each one of us has taken one album, which is a hell of a lot of pairing down in our case. But, um, Jer, you want to go first? What album really yeah. kind of... Set you on the definitely, path. and I'll put a little disclaimer out there. Kind of like our comfort food episode back around Thanksgiving. This is not necessarily, you know, the best album or the favorite, or you know, our, necessarily our, our favorite album. It's for me, it's an album that just when I was getting into music was really important to me, and uh, an album that kind of I think shaped the the foundation of the sounds and the style that I like. And, and my album is uh, Dinosaur Junior's Bug. And uh, Bug came out in the year that Christian broke out of his mama, 1988, which we've... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> now figured out Thanks. Defend Your Year is, is one mighty year in, uh, in music. But, um, you know, the backstory for me on this album, and, and I'll talk a little bit personally-wise, I, I mean, I was 11 years old, so it wasn't like I was going out to clubs and seeing bands. Um, and this is one that kind of connects, you know, one of our, our themes in this pod. But when, you know, um, I was getting into skateboarding and I was 
you know, listening to sort of like hardcore punk and, uh, you know, punk rock at 11. Didn't really love it, but I just, I liked the aesthetic. I liked the look, you know, so I would pick up a random like DRI album. Yeah, yeah, TSOL album and and sort of be like, yeah, this is great. Um, At the same time, I, you know, was hearing Smiths and R.E.M. from, you know, Wynn and and We Have Two Older Sisters. Um, And I, I liked that stuff as well, but I hadn't really found that music that, that really struck me, you know, and, and uh, I talk a lot about Pixie Surfer Rose on this pod. That album was when I first heard the sound I love, but the album that really turned me on to rock and kind of what I enjoy about rock music, it was this Dino, Dinosaur Jr. album, Bug, their, their third album, actually, and Wynn gave me a stack of records one Christmas. I mean, there was XTC, Husker Du. It was, it was an amazing uh, starter kit for sort of to be a freak in high school and an uh, overall loser in your 20s <laughs> going to rock shows every night. But it was... Uh, <laughs> Didn't want you getting too good at lacrosse <laughs> exactly. or anything. But it was, uh, you know, just completely changed everything for me. And, and uh, the reason Bug, I think, was the one that really stuck out for me. First of all, it kicks off with, I think, Dino's best single uh, ever, Freak Scene. And uh, was a bona fide, you know, uh, alternative at the time, college music hit and, and uh, a minor hit in, in England. Um, but also it, it kind of blended the psychedelic rock with some jangle, with a pop sensibility, but still had the, the rough sort of, you know, ferocious guitar licks and huge sound and noisy sound of a sonic youth or, or a more sort of like punk band with, you know, what I was kind of seeking, which was, was more melody. Um, you know, I think it was a real leap forward for Dino. It's not ever cited as their best album. I think You're Living All Over Me often is, and, and you know, I wouldn't argue that by any means. But if you go back and listen to Bug, I mean, it's really nonstop. You've got two of, I think, the best songs with Freak Scene and They Always Come. You know, it closes with Keep, Keep the Glove, which is a great sort of, sort of jangly pop song that goes into epic feedback. And what this album did for me and what it kind of, I think, did for other bands was bands like Ride, Nirvana, um, any of the shoegaze stuff out of England, Buffalo Tom out of Boston. You know, people really, this influenced, I think, a, a string of, of bands and musicians that um, to this day I love. I'd love to hear your guys' kind of take on this album, uh, where it ranks for you. Um, you know, There's go a, ahead. The thing that the thing on revisiting it, and I certainly visited it a lot uh, when it happened. Um, the album, I mean, give or take a month, came out the day I started college in the town I started college. So you know, it was a very it, it felt we felt a great deal of ownership of it um, in Amherst and. Um, you know, I mean, Jay Maskus' dad was the local dentist, and, you know, you had those sort of touchstones that were kind of fun. Yeah, they weren't even heroes, so they were just kind of like, it was just kind of people, because, I mean, they weren't rock, they did they had nothing about them said no, rock. There was, Certainly nothing there about Jay Maskus' Well, there was an accessibility, or... <laughs> too, right? I mean, like... Maybe guitar hero. Yeah. It's, uh... Back then, though, it was like it was you know it wasn't quite clean enough to be Guitar Hero. It was and it was you know they are not rock stars to your point when, but there's just a laziness in the delivery too. But I will say like there's nothing abar- embarrassing ever about Dinosaur Junior. Like I love other bands from this sort of with this sound, but sometimes the lyrics really get annoying or, or too rhymy, and, and Jay is guilty of that every once in a while. But like for the most part, they manage to string together great songs with great little hooks, you know. Well, I think I think the thing that I've come to realize about Dino, would, in, in retrospect, and, and those things that you can only recognize in retrospect, you don't in the moment uh, realize that they're happening, is that um, you know much the same as J- James Murphy brought, uh, you know, uh, dance to the rock kids. Uh, Jay Maskus made it okay for punks to like classic yeah, to be rock. Good guitar yeah. players. Uh, <laughs> Well, that's actually, it's funny, that dovetails really, I mean, nicely with what I was going to say about this, which is that, like, and uh, and this wasn't, my experience of it at the time didn't necessarily, like, 
I wasn't listening to this and thinking that it screamed Neil Young, um, you know, but the more that I learned and, and sort of the more perspective that I had on, on the music, you know, the more I sort of grew to understand that, like, what this guy's doing is basically Neil Young and Crazy Horse at the height of their powers. Um, and much like Neil Young, if you strip it back to its roots and you do it acoustic and you, you know, you, you really sing those lyrics sort of openly and, and bare, it stands up. I mean, it, it's really good. It's good songwriting in that respect. Um, it's just, just doused in this, like, you know, incredibly heavy um, uh, fuzz and, and distortion. Yeah, there was a... And he is a virtuoso a player. A great quote by Lou Barlow that said, like, when he, you know, they were trying to make this album, and this was the last album Lou was on before they reunited, but in Lou, I will say, I, I was mad at Lou Barlow for many years. This was the first Dino album I, I sunk my teeth into. I went back, obviously, and, and listened to the, the ones prior but uh, he, he ruins the flow of this album with don't, just screaming, why don't you like me, for an entire song. <laughs> um, and I, I can tell you I did not like him after that song. But um, Yeah, and you were like, because of this song. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I mean, this was a time when, like, Locomotion by Kylie Minogue, you know, Bad Medicine, Bon Jovi was on the radio. Tiffany, yeah, yeah, Debbie Gibson. And, and this album to me was rock. Like, I felt like, oh, wow, I could play this album for my friends, you know, but... It, uh, there's something about it that, that you know, to your point, Christian, it, it was sort of seeped in, in, in that, you know, loud fuzz. No, it's, ba- it's basic but architecture is, is very much classic you know, rock. Yeah, yeah, and Barlow's quote yeah. was, we love, well, we love thrash metal and we loved, like, jangle pop, and we just tried to put the two together, you know, and it's, it's kind of, I wouldn't quite say it's thrash, but I think it definitely... Uh, I wouldn't quite say it's jangle pop either. No, you know, it's, it's <laughs> somewhere in between where they meet, where yeah. the two meet. Well, my, my I was there moment was the fact that, uh, you know, they had played a bunch of uh, places that are now defunct in the area, Sheehan's and a couple of places in Amherst. And um, they had, the legend has it, and I will, I will uh, gladly go with a legend because I actually do believe it. Uh, they were banned, barred from playing Northampton and Amherst for being too loud. So they had to play the town in between, which was Hadley, which had the like more lag zoning. Uh, you know, that's where the big box stores and the mall is. And they used to have to play at a place called Katina's, which was a uh, split-level ranch <laughs> that had been turned into a nightclub that had a uh, live snake in a glass box on the dance floor. And uh, it's also where I saw Meatloaf nice. um, with his career in Adir. But it was just funny to see these guys because they became such, you know, influential people. And you'd see them, you know, you'd hear them talked about in such sort of vaunted terms. And I was like, wait a second, I... I saw those guys at Katina's, you know. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I will say, and, and they're they're so local that, um, you know, as a teen, I, I, I may or may not have uh, partied with members of Dinosaur Jr. at times in Amherst. You know, it's a, it's a pretty funny thing to, to be 16 and, and, you know, think that this guy is a rock star when he's actually not. He's, a, you know, I underground rock neither rock confirm <laughs> nor deny those exactly. rumors. So, um, well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's take a break. Listen to something from Dinosaur Junior Bug, and, and come back with Christian. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today, we are sort of, uh, in, an, in honor of our 50th episode, we're, we're rehashing how we got here a little bit, but we're also choosing that one album that, you know, kind of put, you know, put a detour on our, on our straight path to uh, good citizenry and uh, turn us into music junkies. And for Christian, that is... Fever to Tell by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Um, 
And uh, I've always, I've always like kind of hesitated when I've said that name because it's kind of goofy to me. But, um, but you know what? It works for them. And uh, you know, I think to to start off and just and to to talk to you guys about sort of how I got to this. I mean, I think it's an important. Um, it was a pretty important juncture for me because it was like I was uh, 14, I guess, when this album came out, um, just about to be 15. Um, and Wyndham, you know, you had spent sort of, I think it was the, I think it was my 14th birthday, maybe my 13th, when you sent me that sort of uh, care package that we've talked about before. And that had, you know, um, I think Ted Leo in it, uh, Loveless by My Bloody Valentine, and maybe Daydream Nation. Um, you know, there were a couple, uh, a couple, you know, birthdays christmases in a row there where where you know these cds arrived um i think it frightens me and ted leo that we could have sent you an album uh, at the age of th- one of his albums at the age of 13 yeah exactly i'm sure it does <laughs> um but uh you know and but but i mean this was fever to tell and actually you know it turn on the bright lights and um and the strokes is this it um we're, we're also both part of those care packages which which is actually important when you think about sort of where the aas fit into this and you know i think um from your perspective, maybe uh, and, meet me and, in Christian's know, I'll, I'll, bathroom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this is uh, that, by the way, is a reference to "Meet Me in the Bathroom," which is Lizzie Goodman's uh, uh, new or, or um, recently published book about sort of the New York rock um, scene from 2001 to 2011, which is which is awesome. Um, it's a great book and really covers the um, the career trajectories of, of those bands that I was just talking about: Interpol, The Strokes, Yeah, Yeah, Yes. But um, you know. For me, it was while you guys were listening to The Strokes and, and Interpol. Interpol, I truly, you know, fell in love with that album, um, and and it's certainly up there for me, um, uh, and possibly my my favorite of all time. I think the Yeah Yeah Yeahs were um, the the sort of point, you know, the point counterpoint to to some of that more slightly more mature rock sound, um, and you know, it was very arty and sort of off the wall, and it was something that I discovered myself, so, you know, it really is imbued with a, a lot of value there. Um, you know, I discovered it at, at Revolution Records while I was flipping through CDs and, and you know, took it home and, and remember the CD player um, and, and the room I was in when I first heard it, um, and I kind of wonder... You know that the first twenty-five minutes of that CD of that album, um, just like I mean, it's um, it's the first eight tracks, I guess, uh, and it yeah, twenty-five minutes. The whole album um, total is is what thirty-nine minutes, I think, but that includes a long yeah, pause. As is bug. Um, yeah, and it just I mean, it's shot out of a cannon. It is fast, aggressive. Um, and you know, really, it's great sort of pop punk music. Um, and you know, I think it. it this sort of incredible, um, like tumbling combination of, of like aggression and on the one hand and sort of vulnerability in, in Karen O's lyrics, um, that just has all the pieces of basically being 14 or 15, uh, contained in it, which is sort of, you know, messy, loud and trying to figure out sex. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a weird, um, uh, sort of amalgamation of, of things. You know, I kind of wonder if you guys, you know, if, if my reaction to this was what you, maybe Wyndham, felt like when you first heard the Ramones. Because it, it does have that kind of, like, um, just crunchy, aggressive power, you know? Um, it, I think viscerally, yes. Probably sexually, no. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. <laughs> Hopefully. From a drug perspective. Uh, but, I mean, I'm serious. Yeah. No, no, no. I am absolutely serious as well. I, you know, I was a l- The Ramones came out when I was younger than that. So I think the album that... Um, you know, and, but yeah, it's that one that, that sort of when you catch that uh, energy where you go, oh, my God, yeah, this is the thing that, that makes me, this is the thing that gets me excited. This is the thing, and I don't mean that in a sexual way. I mean that in an in a oral yeah. way, which is, uh, you know, this is the sound that is different than everything I've heard before. And this is what I this is what I'm into. Yeah, um, and I think it, I mean for for somebody you know I, I'd gone from listening to sort of classic rock to um, 
basically skipping punk and then listening to, you know, and then we're talking like classic rock when I was 12, 13, loving Led Zeppelin. And then I sort of skipped punk and then I started listening to what amounted to sort of this rock revivalism, which which is actually a very, very clean handoff, if you think about it. Like, if you go yeah, from listening to absolutely. Zeppelin to The Strokes or The Beatles to The Strokes, it, it fits, it works. Um, the thing for me was that, you know, I didn't, I, like, I was, at that point I was just about to start going to shows, but I hadn't done it yet, and I hadn't quite figured out punk through friends yet um and then i heard this and was sort of like oh yeah this is this is there's something kind of dirty That's about the this. there's something kind of yeah exactly and and that really was completely captivating and then on top of that seeing her a million times in high school and and you know just that that um just the the incredibly um uh sort of mesmerizing performance um, which is so high energy, uh, was just, you know, really sort of showed me, like, this is what a fucking rock star looks like. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care about people, you know, criticizing her behavior or celebrating it or whatever. I just, I know this is what rock stars do. Um, and, and that was sort of a different, a different model to, you know, seeing Interpol stand on a stage and thinking, these guys look insanely cool, um, but, you know, they're not moving around a lot. And she yeah. was just like, yeah. Pure energy. Um, well, I, theater. I was just going to say, like, it's funny. I mean, I was 25 when this album came out and living in Chicago. Um, and there was just a huge, like, so the New York scene had, strokes had happened. And, you know, we, we had kind of discovered the strokes. And that was a big, big, you know, kind of revival. Yeah. yeah. And then, but I remember just the buzz around these guys. So by the time they even hit Chicago in the same year, they were already playing places like the Metro, which were, were, were the yep. big clubs. And, you know, Going back, and I, I took a spin through this album again, and it, it's my, I think it's the best Yeah Yeah Yeah's album as, as, as well, um, as being Christian's favorite. But, you know, the thing that really struck me is the sound is bigger than those other bands. I mean, the Strokes had a great sound, don't get me wrong, and it was very, like, um, you know, clean compact. and compact, yeah, and precise, and, and, and they did one thing really well. But I think, you know, being, being I was a little bit, you know, and I'll admit it, I was a little skeptical of the Yeah, Yeah, I, I like the album a lot. I think it gets a little weak in the middle and ends amazing and starts amazing. But, um, but the drums and guitar in particular, when I go back and listen to it, are really cool and really different than what was going on yes. at that time and really big. And that's, that's I, you know, I think... A large part thanks to Dave Saito, David Saito. Yeah, TV on the radio I, fame, know. guitarist for TV on the radio and the producer of this album. And I also think that, you know, it is funny I, to hear you talk about this in, in such emotional terms because I know what that emotion feels like. But I also, you know, am, was, uh, you know, and, and these are the, these are the, I have the, the, the great benefit of having seen you both at 12 and neither of you having seen me at 12. But um, Christian, I remember coming to my apartment when he was 12 years old and telling me that there was no reason to listen to any other band in the whole world besides Led Zeppelin. Yeah, well, I mean... That's he still may believe that. Confidence. <laughs> I mean, it's... It, look, I'm just saying if you had to only listen to one more <laughs> band forever, like, that's not a terrible choice, okay? Oh, no, um, it's a great <laughs> choice. It's a, no, it's a very good choice. It's just funny that the... You but know, then was like I came this, back the next year at the same time of year, and I was like, there is no band that you ever need to listen to other than the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> No, you gotta you gotta go all in on this stuff, and you know say say what you're gonna say and say it with conviction. Um, but the the last couple of points I just want to make about this, and and you know you you mentioned guitar and drums, like Nick Zinner in particular, like um, I, just to me I think is it's some of the most inventive sort of guitar work um, for a one guy. Not even you know no yeah, rhythm for section. one guy <laughs> largely no playing single notes. I mean it's like there aren't tons and tons of power chords even chomping through this. It's like it's a lot of um, you know. It's 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 like he has just this unbelievable ear for melody, um, and uh, and how to sort of manipulate that. Um, but you know, it, it, it reminds me a bit of like Peter Hook with bass. Yeah, absolutely. From, uh, New Order, Joy Division. Yeah, yeah, there's. I mean, I I can definitely see that. It's it's in the way that like Peter Hook and uh, with the bass was sort of much more you know polished and. Um, 
had a had a you know very different sort of texture to it. I think um, you're absolutely right though in terms of just his way of sort of navigating and like punching it, you know, creating like um, this sort of uh, kinetic energy um, through those uh, like winding and fast paced um, you know melodies that that they would write. And then you know the other thing that really is crucial here. Um, is uh, is just the fact that let's face it, Maps is the best song of that decade. Absolutely, Mike I drop. can agree with you there. Boom. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt. I would. I would. Uh, I'd I play that song. It, it, you know, as much now as I did then. It's. Uh, it, I don't. Yeah, it, I don't. It, it doesn't. Like, never there's never a question. Nope. Yeah, if I think of it, I'm like, oh, it's going on the playlist that I'm listening to right now. It's that simple. It's like I always love it. Both are. You, both of you are interrupting the mic drop. So let's <laughs> okay, mic drop again. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod. Tonight, uh, it's Christian, Wynn, and I, and we're talking about the albums that, that put us on our path to this pod, the albums that, that changed our lives. And, and this next one is, is Wynn's turn, and it's an album that, uh, you know, he turned me on to as, as a young lad, but prior to that, I, I think I heard, you know, his, his door slammed and the door banging to the rhythms of uh, the album he's about to mention, and that album is... London Calling by The Clash, which, um, you know, there was qualifiers before for both of you that it may not be your favorite or it may not be the one that... This is actually my favorite album of all time. And it is... It made... There's such a, you know, a um, marked sort of before and after as far as I'm concerned. And uh, unlike both of you who discovered, you know, your albums on your own and and uh, in kind of a cool way, I probably discovered this album in the least possible cool way you could ever discover an album, which was it was given to me by my grandmother. <laughs> um, nice. Or I'll clarify by saying it was Christian and I's grandmother, uh, Gladys Lewis. Um, and, you know, she was a weirdly, um, she wasn't hip, she wasn't cool, but she loved rock and roll music, which was odd for a woman of her age from her place which was, uh, she's from London, and, uh, you know, she was a music teacher, and, you know, got, was very into uh, some really strange uh, kinds of music, which was, you had to understand what, a, what a, an odd person she was to, to really uh, understand how interesting it was to, to receive these from her, but this came to me on a, during a Christmas holiday in uh, the Bay Area when uh, Mima, or Gladys, uh, came over to take care of my sister and I, and she brought this. I think the specials, um, maybe the first Madness album, and a couple of others that weren't as cool. But did she ride up in a um, Vespa and hand those off to you guys? Or was it? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, this is this is not uh, the you know this isn't like the the you know Harold, the mod from Harold and Maude. This is more the, the archetypical grandmother who uh, had no business loving this stuff, and she did. It was weird. But um, anyway, um, that you know, this album stuck with me forever. This album, uh, like most albums that I loved back at that point in time, uh, went through every single um, you know, sort of uh, media platform that it possibly could. Started out as a, as a double album for me, then became a 
double album that was recorded onto a cassette, then became the actual cassette, then came the CD, um, and the rest is history. But um, it's a long way around uh, getting into the album itself, which to me is it's one of the most remarkable albums ever made. The Clash had put out two albums, uh, the, you know, their first album, and Give Them Enough Rope. Give Them Enough Rope was kind of a... Um, Sucky. A strange... A strange album for them. It was, you know, they, they put it out with uh, Epic, CBS Epic, who was their label, tried to connect them with a hit maker, Sandy Perlman from uh, Blue Oyster Cult, uh, that he produced the second album. It didn't really go the way they wanted. The third album... It does, does have Save Your Dan Home, which is a great song. But. It does, which it has more than that. It has complete control, yeah. I believe, too. Um, but uh, the, you know, so their third album, London Calling, they've toured the States finally... They've fallen in love with the States, and on their tour of the States, they actually had, um, they, as their openers, hand-picked openers, Bo Diddley, Sam and Dave, they fell in love with Joe Ely from the Flatlanders, um, who was a, you know, sort of alt-country, outlaw country guy, and their, their sound really broadened, and, and it, in a weird way, it's not that dissimilar from... U2's Joshua Tree. I mean, nobody would really draw the dotted line between these two albums, but it was an English band falling in love with American music. And so there's representatives, uh, representations of like kind of every variety of American music on here. I mean, there's R&B, there's jazz, there's not really country, but R&B, jazz. Uh, there's some New Orleans. There's straight ahead rock and roll. Uh, there's rockabilly, the American of all American music, reggae. <laughs> yeah, and then and then the stuff that you know, I mean, which is a much more indigenous no, kidding, English yeah. music. Yeah, no, but um, you know, there's reggae, and then you know, it, it, the whole thing. I mean, it, nobody, if you were uh, creating a blueprint for a record, and you had that many variations of song um, that you were going to put together and funnel through one band of, you know, Londoners in 1980. You sure as hell wouldn't bet on a winner. And uh, it really, I mean, every song on that album uh, is fantastic. And, and the one thing I will say that is that every song on that album, with the exception of maybe one or two or so, has at one point been my favorite song on the album. That's always a good sign, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, to, to pick up your point about, um, you know, about sort of funneling all of these different uh, and seemingly sort of disparate, um, uh, disparate sort of genres and styles through one band, you know, it does, there are s- similarities, I guess, um, with the way that, you know, I think um, Led Zeppelin or, or the Rolling Stones with Exile or, you know, even certain later Beatles songs, probably not albums, but songs, you know, um, uh, those bands sort of served as a prism for, for sort of uh, American culture and, and, you know, musical traditions. Um, but I think you're definitely right that, like, there are very few that can, that can sort of, uh, that can claim this kind of breadth. And, and the interesting thing is that, like, you know, for a while thereafter, nobody really pulled from all of those different genres again. Again, in quite the same way, because everybody was just listening to the Clash instead of doing that. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like the thing. You know, the new precedent had been set, the new bar, um, and and so you just you you could you know you use that as your blueprint from from then on. I think it's a well, when you break down. Sorry, the, go ahead, Ryan. No, okay. I was just gonna say like I no, think no. you know I mean it's an album too. First of all, you didn't mention I mean one of the most iconic album covers ever. So when you were still buying albums, CDs, tapes, or even before I ever you know, listened to this, I knew what that was. Yeah, and I knew what the Clash was. Yeah, the for sure. image of the T-shirt, you know, or the the album cover. I mean, it's just such a <laughs> before thing. I ever listened to this, I probably had the T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whether you ever listen to the album, you know, that's just that screams cool. It's like the picture of Johnny Cash giving the middle finger or something, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and not only that, it was, uh, you know, I mean, they, they consciously took the lettering from the uh, debut Elvis Presley right. record and stuck it on there as if to say, and I mean, it really was intentionally to say, this is the end of what you began with rock and roll. Yeah, and I would say, too, you know, as an album that I kind of came to kind of under the, the guise, and, and I'm going to say guise of punk rock, 
Um, this album was, you know, I, of course, London Calling kicks it off, which is, you know, I think a very Clash song and, and Clash from sort of the earlier albums. But then it just goes into, to your point, when all sorts of different genres. And, and it took me a little while because I'm, I, I like brand new Cadillac and, I, I, you know, I've come to semi like Jimmy Jazz, although I think it's the worst song in the album. You know, it kicks right into two totally different different styles that, that veer far left from what it kind of goes back into. And it wasn't until I was probably in my 20s and went back to it. I always liked it, and I certainly always loved the song London Calling and, and Train in Vain and, and other songs. But that I realized, and, and I think Christian mentioned Exile on Main Street, like, oh, this is really, like, I mean, this is Exile on Main Street. You know, this is that that full album that you need to listen to start to finish. And, and treat it as a, a rock and like a, a truly great rock and roll album, not as a punk record, not as a, you know, uh, ska record, not as a, any of those other. You can't take it individually as much as, as some of their other records, and, and it doesn't have an individual sound. And, uh, one, you know, I really agree. I think this is an album that I've popped on. You know, sometimes Hateful is my favorite song, sometimes Rudy Can't Fail, sometimes Lost in the Supermarket. I mean, it's just, it's just chock full of amazing, yeah, amazing songs. I mean, it's great. say that you know I've, I've always said that the mark of a great mix is that when the song comes on you can't remember what the last one was yeah. and that's London Calling that's like perfect you yeah. you know it's sort of it, you the, the next song has erased what you what you know you're like oh I want to hear that again. oh no I don't I want to hear the next one you know I mean stuff like Lovers Rock which sound like a throwaway when I was a kid or <laughs> or um, yeah Revolution Rock I mean there's three covers on this album um, you know, and, and you know, Wrong and Boyo, Brand New Cadillac, and uh, Revolution Rock, and they all fit. And then the other thing is that there are very, very few double albums, and The Clash, you know, managed to put out this as a double album, and then Sandinista as a triple album after this. Uh, all killer, no filler. There is not a bad song on this album, and there's 19 songs on this no, album. No, you're right. I mean, that's the Please. exile test. You know, there's, there's, it's every song is good, it's a complete album. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, this, it, just listening to it again today in preparation for the pod, I was, like, taken back to, you know, all sorts of different times well, in my life when I, you know, when one of these songs was my favorite. And, uh, you know, I was always, I always remember landing in Heathrow at one point, listening to the card sheet and thinking it was the greatest song of all time. And I still may be... So- so kind of fitting. I think we have to we have Mima to thank um, for uh, this pod and for turning Wyndham on to London Calling. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting Mima when I was young, and, and she did teach me some piano, and we ate some cocoa puffs. So um, thank you, Gladys, thank you. Ada, yeah. Edith, Lewis. Well, should we take a break and come anyway, end it how we always we end it? Take a break and come back.
Uh, welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Forgive me, I was getting a little emotional over uh, Lena calling. And um, so, uh, Christian, what are you listening to? Well, um, I think we are ready to, yeah, end this podcast the same way we end every podcast, by talking about what we're, you know, reading, um, listening to, or watching. Um, and I've got to say, I am... Uh, I am currently watching, or I'm almost done watching. I've got a, about 20 minutes left. The Defiant Ones, which uh, which just came out a day or two ago on HBO, and um, this is uh, it's a four episode documentary, probably about five hours, maybe five and a half, um, that examines you know the the partnership between uh, Jimmy Iovine and uh, Dr. Dre. Um, you know, Ivine, who uh, Brooklyn-born Italian guy, um, his his parents were immigrants, and and Dr. Dre, of course, who grew up in um, in uh, South Central Los Angeles. The CPT. Um, that's absolutely right. Um, and uh, you know, these these two guys are both just incredible visionaries. Um, and you know, I think that there there's a lot of. First of all, uh, it's worth noting that like everybody shows up for this thing, right? You know, it really is sort of an all access documentary in the sense that you have um, interviews with. I mean, anybody who's worked with either of these guys, except for Tupac. Um, but uh, but you know, there's also plenty of like really well researched footage that's been dug up exclusively for this, and sort of um, you know, it's, it it comes together incredibly nicely. They've been working on it for three or four years now. Um, so, uh, but I, but I would highlight, you know, the, the sort of third chapter, which really focuses on, um, you know, Dre's bounce back, uh, in, in the chronic. And then, um, the fourth, uh, focuses on sort of aftermath, which is, um, you know, in his discovery of Eminem, which is, which is really just incredible. Um, and likewise, you know, the, the parallel story for, um, Evin is uh, is you know this this story of sort of um, taking all of these incredible bets on on artists and and really you know sticking by them. But there was there was 15 years where as the head of Interscope, that guy just couldn't fail. Um, I mean, he got everything so right. Whether it was you know Gwen Stefani making it huge with No Doubt, and then uh, you know he sort of like waved his hand and was like, you know who you need to meet? Pharrell. Um, and then reinvented her as a solo pop star. I mean, it's like those kinds of things that just show, you know, show a true genius at work. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. So definitely, definitely check that out. I'm excited to see it. Me too, as soon as I have a television. <laughs> so, so Jerry, what are you listening yeah, to? Yeah, so I'm going to just jump into what I watched recently over the weekend. I checked out, um, the film, The Lost City of Z, which um, was a movie, I think it's the first, I want to say first film by James Gray, um, based on the book of the same name by um, David Grant that came out in 2009. And it's about the uh, explorer, Percy Fawcett, who was looking for the lost city of Z. And, and uh, you know, the cool thing about the movie was star, it stars Charlie uh, Hunnam, Hunnam and Robert Patterson, Sienna Miller's in it. But... Um, I just haven't seen a movie in a long time that had a sense of adventure and that kind of took you to a different, different, different world to say, not to be corny, but it, the movie's like beautiful to watch. It's an interesting story, um, which to be honest, I didn't know a ton about. He was an explorer in the early 1900s. I'd heard of him, but um, you know, it, it really kind of championed early civilization pre sort of, uh, you know, English folk or, you know, that there was civilization pre England's domination of the world. And, um, there was? Uh, apparently there was. <laughs> um, although you might get lost trying to find it. And uh, and so, yeah, no, I just I highly recommend it. It's not, you know, um, amazing, like not the best movie I've seen in a while, but it was a fun movie and, and definitely worth uh, checking out because there hasn't been anything like it in a while. Well, it's funny. I think you and I both have the same uh, sort of outlook on, the, on our recommendations this week because I feel the same way about Baby Driver, which is that... I had a lot of fun going to see it. Um, it probably won't stick with me, and um, but it was just nice to... I've been waiting, honestly, uh, I, I'm a big, um, you know, uh, attendee of the cinema. I like going to movies. I like going to, like, the experience of going to the movies, and there's been nothing that I wanted to see. So when Baby Driver been popped up... Yeah, and I, I mean, I like Edgar Wright. I like... The people that are in it, I like uh, even Anselm and Slum and Tail Elgort. Yeah, he's yeah, I like him very guy. much. Yeah, um, and uh, I like you know it was a really fun time at the movies, and that's all I wanted. I wanted somebody to give me a really fun time at the movies that wasn't 
you know, Johnny Depp 7 in, uh, you know, whatever, Princess of the Caribbean or whatever. <laughs> I, I just like, uh, I'm, I'm, I was excited to see something uh, new and original, and it was fun. It wasn't original. It was just fun. So, anyway, that's the my... The uh, um, Baby is a driver. Uh, a young, uh, getaway Baby's driver. And it's a largely... I wish a largely a uh, um, a car chase movie. Uh, it's about a bunch of people that pull off heists. Uh, not a lot of backstory for anybody, and um, you know it's it's a lot of fun action set to really f- fucking cool music, which is unusual as well. And um, it was just. You will enjoy yourself when you go see it. There was, um, so so I'm looking forward to seeing this partly because of all the buzz and stuff around it, which I think might just be because the other movies this summer kind of suck, um, but we'll see. Uh, I, I think there was a pretty funny line. I've just got to hand it to, to Chris Ryan over at The Ringer for this. Um, when asked what the worst part of the movie was, he said watching both Ansel Elgort and Lily James true romancing each other, both sounding like a version of Badlands' Sissy Spacek if she'd worked in a record store. Um, so that, that like first five minutes of narration in, in Badlands is like all I have stuck in my head for this. So, um, that's, no, it's actually a very apt description. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was sort of like, that is, so that is so off. evocative. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, uh, I think we are going to end this again, the way we end every episode by, uh, putting a new song each on the 923,000, uh, 10 best songs of all time. 11. Yep. Yes. Um, so, should I kick it off? I mean, I think I'm. Okay. You know, we're talking about the albums that got us here. I'm talking about Fever to Tell, and uh, Maps is already on the playlist. So, um, I'm going Day with the Night. Nice. Sounds good. Jared? Yeah, I'm gonna stick with the theme, and uh, I'm gonna talk about you know the the college radio hit of my uh, my youth, um, Freak Scene by Dennis Ward Jr. Otherwise known as the college radio hit of my freshman year. <laughs> Um, and I'm going to go, uh, I'll stick with the theme, obviously, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a curveball and go with the card cheat. I think the card cheat is one of my favorite songs of all time. So look forward to catching that in the midst of a shuffle of all of these great songs we put on here. Well, happy birthday. Happy 50th. Happy 50th anniversary and birthday and other things of 50. Um, what is that? Is that a Quintinson? No, yeah, fuck it. This is yeah no that's good anyway um, yeah happy fiftieth episode guys Uh, I'm excited to uh, to come back and pick it up with fifty one next week. That's it for this episode of Brother 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 podcast. Many thanks to Simon Doom for our intro music, Hair of the God, and to our heroic producer Damian Kendall. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Tweet our mistakes and your recommendations, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Until next time, on behalf of Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you for listening. <laughs>